I have the uh, honor of introducing our speaker today who really needs no introduction here in this church family. Uh, Dr. Dick Hart and Judy have been members here for quite some time, and we're so grateful that he is with us today. For those who don't know, uh, Dr. Dick Hart is president of Loma Linda University Health. He's the proud father of three adult daughters and son-in-laws, and a proud grandpa of nine children, and a proud husband to Judy for 57 years come this September. So we're grateful to have you with us and look forward to the way God will speak through you today. Thank you, Darren. It's good to be with you at Calamasa. I was thinking, Darren, we've been here for 43 years, I think, of this church. We've seen a lot of pastors through that time. But only one organist, Mike. Uh, so, so thank you for being here all that time and being so beautiful music during those years. I want to talk to you today about our world, a confusing world, a troubled world in so many different ways and about our role in that world uh, as we may try to define it. It's estimated there's seven and a half billion people in the world today, seven and a half billion. We lost six million due to COVID, uh, but seven and a half billion people. Christianity is the largest group, religious group in the world today at around 2.2 billion people. Islam is about 1.5 billion people and Islam is growing faster than Christianity is today in the world. I can remember as a kid hearing this Matthew commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, and the implication was once you got done, the end would come. Isn't that what we thought? And I remember running the math. So whoa, whoa, whoa. The world's growing faster than the church is. How are we ever gonna do this? How do we make that happen? Can we count on that 2.2 billion Christians to help? Is it all the burden we carry as Adventists? And back in those days, evangelism was a good word. We engaged in a lot of evangelism. And now the word has been taken over by the evangelicals, same word, and how politicized it has become. In every sense in this country, evangelicals have all sorts of different implications. I may step on a few toes, but it's gone off into politics, it's gone off into COVID, it's gone off into all many, so many different things as we try to look at what that group represents. Are we still part of it? Some of us question sometimes whether we want to be part of that movement. Within that context, the Adventist Church now has right at 22 million members around the world. We're growing two to 300,000 a year uh, over the last few years. Sounds fairly impressive, although against 7.5 billion and the vast swaths of this earth that has no evidence of Christianity, you have to wonder. But then radio and TV came along, and then social media came along, and we had hope that indeed, perhaps through those mediums, we could influence the world. 
and I'm sure we are in many respects. I just got back from two weeks in Africa. The church is growing rapidly in Africa. Back today, the country of Zambia in Central Africa, country of 23 million people, 23 million people, has more Seventh-day Adventists than the United States does. About 1.2 million Adventists. Zimbabwe next door will cross that same mark within another year. Within another couple years, half of the Adventist church will be in Africa. What does that mean? The U.S. is the birthplace of Adventism. We claim a lot of things here. We have a lot of rich history. And yet in North America, the Adventist church, within another year or two, if trends continue, will no longer be growing, but will actually be declining in membership. We have 13 colleges and universities in this country. They have been decreasing about 2.5% a year in enrollment for the last 10 years. A variety of reasons for that. I'm not going to go into that at this point. But what is happening to the home base for Adventism? Right now, North America represents 6% of the Adventist church. 6%. 94% of Adventists live in some other country. Is that good? Is it bad? So it's in that context that I want to talk to you about our church. And I specifically want to talk to you about the place that I work at Loma Linda. As you can imagine, our student body, our faculty, our staff are quite diverse. Uh, to keep up with all the needs we have, we have members of a variety of churches that work there. We still emphasize the Adventist message, and that's part of it, uh, but it's a diverse co congregation. And so the struggle we have as leaders at Loma Linda, how do we maintain, how do we grow, how do we perpetuate the Adventist message in that setting? And I might say that uh, while the majority of our students uh, come from many conservative Christian backgrounds, they love to come to Loma Linda. We get some 10,000 applicants every year for less than 2,000 positions. They come with a variety of expectations. Some of them more conservative, some of them less conservative. And even our Adventist students, as you can imagine, are across a full spectrum. We have groups on campus that are true believers. God said it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. And we've got others on the other side of that spectrum. We Sabbath to them as a day in the mountains or a day at the beach. So within that context, we struggle with how do we create, how do we perpetuate the beliefs, the beauty that we have in the Adventist doctrines. We've got 27 fundamentals. You're aware of them. If I were to ask, ask the average kid today, uh, they wouldn't know much about them. It's not something that we dwell on a lot in any of our schools. Christianity has become more a 
a passion, uh, a sense of belonging that is important to us. And it's in that context that I would like to walk you, take you on a walking tour of our campus and share with you some of the things that I find very meaningful and that our campus finds meaningful uh, as we try to speak to that diverse audience that we have there. Because the church itself is struggling with this. We have fundamentalism, take us back, get us back to where we were, purify the church, that's what we need to do, to what's called progressivism, you know, adapt to the times, understand, be relevant. My personal sense is that there's probably no better way to convey true Christianity than confronting a young mind with human need. When you come up against the challenge of serving somebody else, that's a time when you're forced to raise some basic questions in your own mind. What is my role in this? What should I do? So if I can start the pictures, uh, Steve, thank you. We think we've got them up here. The Good Samaritan Sculpture, our original sculpture on campus. Some of you will remember this history. Uh, Alan Collins, a sculpture, did this about 35 years ago now. He did it in sandstone. And about a year or two after we installed it, someone came along one night and broke the Good Samaritan's head off. See, Alan Collins had an attempt to show a different culture as the Good Samaritan had portrayed an African-American man as the Good Samaritan. And the roots of racism reached onto our campus and destroyed that man. We recast it in bronze, which is what it is today, and has been there as kind of a symbol of this, of our culture. It's interesting to me to go back and look at the minutes and the board meetings that talked about this. There was a big debate in the board. Should we put up a sculpture? What's the difference between a sculpture and an idol? Is this a graven image? We don't even think about that much anymore, but that was a real question when this first one was put up. You all know the story. Uh, in fact, this was a real story in Christ's time. This wasn't a parable. This had happened. This was circulating in the local news media. Uh, this fellow had gone from Jerusalem down to Jericho, bad, scary road. Uh, I can make some parallels to today. Uh, and got accosted and nearly killed and left by the roadside. First came the Levite a teacher, a professor in the university, probably not traveling by himself, probably with a group who walked by on the other side of the road, noticed that, no, 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 it's not safe here, I'm moving on. And then the rabbi, the pastor, took a closer look, no, no, I'm moving on, not safe here. Until the Samaritan came, and I, you know the rest of that story. But you think of what happened. The first two, the professor and the pastor, asked the question, if I stop to help, what will happen to me? The Samaritan asked quite a different question. If I don't stop to help, what will happen to him? And that has become a kind of an iconic sculpture on our campus 
in terms of the, the way that health professionals need to approach danger in the world today. About three weeks ago now, one of our young physicians at Barry Hospital in Chad, country of Chad in Central Africa, uh, was accosted at the hospital by a bunch of young hoodlums, was kidnapped, was tossed around. When I talked with Stacy Davenport, I said, Stacy, you know, is it time to come home? Is it time to escape to the city? No, Dr. Art, I need to stay. I'm not giving up now. I'm sticking it out, and she's there today. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. I've often wondered why they don't call it the bad Levite instead of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> but we know it is the Good Samaritan. If you head a little bit north from there on our campus, you come to the Founders Plaza, a place we tell the history of Loma Linda. And if you haven't paused there, I would urge you to do that. On the granite wall on the side, is the accounting of the first year of Loma Linda's existence. An incredible history of miracles, of Ellen White prodding John Burden uh, to go ahead, of the church officials saying, no, 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 don't do it, we don't have money, we already bought Glendale, we already bought Paradise Valley, we don't have enough money, don't do it. And Ellen White insisting on going ahead. The rock that you can see there comes from the American Medical Missionary College. A graduating class of 1900, chose to set up that rock in Battle Creek, Michigan as part of their donation to the American Medical Missionary College. That was a medical school started by John Harvey Kellogg in 1895. It lasted until 1910. So for one year, the year of 1909, the Adventist Church had two medical schools in North America, Battle Creek, American Medical Missionary College, and Loma Linda, which began in 1909. Loma Linda, of course, its first name was, I'll give you a quiz here, what was Loma Linda's first name? Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> the first year, Loma Linda was called the College of Evangelists. And it was only about a year or two later when they got, in, and that was with the School of Nursing, a year or two later, they said, whoa, 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 let's get a medical school going, and started dreaming about medicine, which started in 1909. And so it was about 1906, 07, they changed the College of Medical Evangelists. You're right on that. And it was that until we became Loma Linda. But spend some time looking at the Founders Plaza, where we tell that history. And I can tell you, when I face some tough issues, I will often step out of my office, which looks out on that, and read through once again how God has led this place in the past. The next picture as we go on down the Centennial Pathway is the Mission Globe. Uh, a more recent thing on campus. And around the base of the Mission Globe is inscribed the names of all alumni and staff from Loma Linda who served abroad for at least one year uh, in their careers. Some 2,000 names are circled around the base of that Mission Globe. An interesting fact is that from 1900 to 1950, the Adventist Church started 100 hospitals around the world mostly in developing countries. One hundred, two hospitals a year for 50 years that we started mostly by Loma Linda alumni going out to serve. This church has been generous in providing people like that and I can, can't see all of you now, but Scott and Marnie Nelson, as you know, right now down in Haiti, doing some incredible work in Haiti. Jerry and Marion Crispins working with them as a hospital administrator in Harry. I was on a Zoom call with Jerry yesterday uh, from Haiti. Uh, he and Marion are down there serving. Bob, 
where'd Bob go? Uh, for 10 years, went down and sponsored a, every month flew down to Trinidad to start a, a uh, dialysis unit in Trinidad. Rod Neal, just with me in Africa, serving as a chairman of our AHI boards in Malawi and Zambia. I even got Rod to try some roasted corn from a roadside barbecue this time. Uh, I don't think he admitted he liked it yet, but at least tried it. And if we go on down the Centennial Pathway, we come to what's called the double helix, one of our newer sculptures. What is that? Well, some of you remember your diagrams, Watson and Crick identified the human chromosome as a double helix. The incredible master of our bodies, our minds, and all that's about us in that double helix. This was given to us by one of our proton patients who said, I want to commemorate Loma Linda's saving my life uh, by giving the double helix. The next two stories happened in the same day of Christ's life. It was a busy day. Uh, he was on one side of the lake and the crowd was pressing him about. Uh, it's an interesting Bible story. It says his mother and brothers came to see him and couldn't get through the crowd to see him. And what did Christ say? You're all my mother and brothers. And apparently ignored them. And then as the crowd pressed on, they got in the boat, went out on the lake, the storm came up, he was asleep in the boat, calmed the waters, went to the other side, got to the other side, and a demon-possessed man accosted them. He cast out the demon, and the Bible says, put that in 2,000 pigs who then ran off the cliff and drowned. But it was at that point I want to pick up the story because, again, the crowd was pressing Christ around, uh, and he, somebody pushed through to the front and said, please, sir, uh, there's a, a, a significant person, Jairus, whose daughter is very sick. They're asking if you can come. And the disciples, of course, felt compelled. This is an important person. We need to get him there. And yet the crowd was so pressing around, it was hard to move. And as Christ started to move, he stopped. Somebody touch me. And as the story unfolded, the woman, for 12 years of bleeding, had touched his garment. And he had healed her. And on his way to Jairus, Christ stopped and said, tell that story of the woman healing uh, that touched his garment. And then went on to visit Jairus' daughter. By then, they finally came to him and said, and this is a sculpture of who touched me on the campus on the north side of the Centennial Complex. We feel this is a particularly significant for our students to remember that healing comes from God alone. Several of our hospitals, the one in Blantyre, Malawi, one in Shear Memorial Hospital in Nepal, their motto is, we care, God heals. That's the story of this sculpture. We can care, but it's God that heals. And finally, Christ made it to Jairus' house. You know the story. And the next picture shows that. Sorry, it's a little bit faded because of the light coming in on it. But I want to invite you to take a tour. Uh, this may need to be uh, multiple tours. But down the grand hallway of the new hospital, Nathan Green, a prominent Adventist artist, has done so much. As his final act is painting the 12 miracles of Christ for Loma Linda. 
This is the first one. The second one will be up soon, and over the next few months, all 12 miracles will come up down that grand hallway. And if you pause and look at this, you can't pick it up from this, but the artist and his team went out to the Middle East and spent several months visiting all the places that the miracles occurred so they could recreate the setting for those, uh, each miracle. So this is Peter, James, and John to the left with Christ taking the hand of Jairus' daughter, the parents standing in the background. What you can't tell from this picture, but it's so meaningful, as Christ has touched her arm, the arm is turning pink while the face is still white. And he brings her back to life. So there'll be a whole series of those where all the patients walk by, everybody else walks by that tells a story of Christ's miracles here at Loma Linda. And then if we go beyond that, one of our newest sculptures is in front of the nursing school, Be His Light. Again, a set in the 1950s uh, where Christ is holding the lamp, showing uh, students how to care for patients. And then to the front of the hospital, Come unto me. We've just moved this one. It was in the front of the old hospital, the vintage hospital. Now we're to the front of the new hospital. This is by Victor Issa. And these are all made to be interactive sculptures. And how powerful that has been. Because I will walk by frequently and see families sitting there, children sitting on Christ's lap, petting the dog, uh, all the sorts of things that you want to interact with with this picture. What I want to point out is that it's fairly easy for us to identify with physical maladies that Christ is healing. The lame, the halt, the blind. It's perhaps tougher for us to deal with mental things that he may be healing. Behaviors that he may be taking care of. Because see, Christ specialized in the marginalized. Christ didn't spend his time trying to convince people who are already believers. He specialized in those who'd been outcast. So I can imagine in this setting, even though it's speaking about children, you can easily translate that to the prostitute, to the drug user, To those struggling with gender identity, can I say that? With the LGBT world, there's no question in my mind, but Christ would say, come, come unto me and find peace. So this is perhaps one of the most prominent sculptures now beside the front of the new hospital, telling the story that our Christ welcomes everybody. And finally, I want to take you up on the hill. It used to be called Mound City. And then because they couldn't sell it with that name, they changed it to Loma Linda. It's a more attractive name. And the local newspaper in Redlands, making fun of that, they called it Lonesome Linda. Because they had trouble selling this old hotel. And you know the story, how Ellen White kept prompting John Burden, do it. John went down and put down his own $1,000 to hold it. All the miracles, I won't go through all those. The postman bringing the cashier's check at the last minute. Within an hour, they had to make a deposit to save it uh, and save the, the purchase. 
And finally, Loma Linda, uh, excuse me, Ellen White said, I need to go visit myself. So this 75-year-old widow and failing health made the long train ride from Northern California down to Loma Linda. I wish I could find out how many stops and train stations she had to change, but she made it to Loma Linda and came into the little train station at the bottom of the hill. John Burden picked her up, and they made their winding way up the hill, a circular road, up to the top under the graceful pepper trees and the palm trees that are there. This particular sculpture is uh, up on the hill, uh, looking out over the valley to the east. We think about where this occurred. Three of the cottages that were there at that time are still there. And as they paused there at the top of the hill, Ellen's White's comments turned to Willie, her son that was with him. Said, Willie, I've been here before. Said, no mother, no, you've never been here. Said, this is, then this is the very place God has shown me in vision four years earlier. And then her words, this is the very place God has shown me. I stand up on that hill, not infrequently. You can actually stand just about a few feet from there, look over the crest of the hill, and see the new hospital. And I sit there and wonder, what would Ellen White say today? She'd probably have some counsel for us. I don't doubt that. But I do believe she'd say, what hath God wrought? What hath God wrought in creating an institution that literally is serving around the world? Each Sabbath morning when I'm in town, as some of you know, I hike up Pisgah Peak near our house in Oakland. Went up this morning. Judy and the dog turned around about halfway up, and I go on to the top. And from the top of Pisgah Peak, I can look out east, uh, west across the valley all the way across to an empire. It's a little bit hazy this morning, but just about to Kellogg Hill. I estimate there's probably three million people in my view as I look across south the Hemet, east, west. What is our responsibility for those three million people? What is Loma Linda's responsibility for those three million people? We estimate probably 10 to 15% of them come through our doors at Loma Linda every year. 1.5 million visits in our clinics and hospital. What message are we telling them? What message should we be telling them? That's the challenge we face. That's the challenge the Adventist Church faces. Is our message relevant today? Do we have something to say to the world? My personal belief, it's never been more relevant. What an incredible opportunity we have to share the kind of love, compassion, and acceptance that our Savior offers. And my hope and belief is that Loma Linda can be part of that story, part of that message. So as I stand on Pisgah and look out across that, I can see Loma Linda down there, the old towers, the new tower beside it. 
I would like to think that this is still the very place. God bless. Yes, Lord, uh, we need you. We need you in so many ways, in a hurting world, confusing world, a troubled world, a world that seemed to have lost its anchors in so many ways. And it's through that world, Father, that you call us. You call us as an avenue of peace, an avenue of sharing, compassion, caring. Bless this church, Father. Thank you for Calamason, what it's meant to so many of us through so many years. And the larger church and all those who scatter around the world in service to you, hold them close on this Sabbath day. Bless them in all that they do. As we look to the future, it's uncertain. None of us can predict what's happening next. Yet we hold boldly to the promise that you will be with us. You will guide us and protect us into the days and years ahead. We pray these things in your name. Amen. <laughs>